Hello, and welcome to The Gospel Life. I'm Neil Tu, author of the book, The Gospel Life, and host of this podcast. In my 20s, I spent three years living among the monks. I learned from them an incredibly rich and fruitful way to pray called Lexio Divina, which is Latin for sacred reading. Lexio Divina is a Christian spiritual practice that has been around for over a thousand years. It's a way of entering into the presence of God who speaks in his word, listening to that word, meditating on it, retaining it, and responding in prayer to God who has just spoken to us. I follow this practice every day, and in this podcast, I share with you its fruits. I hope it blesses you. Episode 7, Jesus Misquotes the Bible. Wouldn't it be rather scandalous if Jesus were to be seen misquoting the Bible? Well, that's what happens in today's gospel passage, or so it seems. Let's take a closer look. Today's gospel passage is Mark chapter 12, 28 to 34, and it harkens back to a central passage in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 to 9. Jesus is walking and teaching. Several learned men of the law have been engaging him in debate, and Jesus has been responding with his typical brevity and trenchant insight. A scribe has been watching, listening, taking this in. He's impressed. So he brings to Jesus a question that has been burning in his mind. It seems he does so in earnest. The scribe asks, Which is the first of all the commandments? In Greek, this is, which is the entole prote, the first of all the commandments. In other words, which is the prototype commandment to which all others are secondary. Now, unless we are Jewish, we might not appreciate how complex this question is. There are, in fact, 613 mitzvah or commandments in the Jewish law. To be able to single out the one that stands out above all the rest is no small feat. It's like being asked to pick out, at a glance, the most beautiful leaf on a maple tree in the height of fall. How does one weigh and judge among so many? How does one pick out the differences? Yet, as ever, when faced with a puzzling question, Jesus cuts through the difficulty. He cuts to the essence and adds an insight the questioner doesn't even envision. Let's take his reply piece by piece. The first commandment is this, he says, Hear, O Israel. That's Mark 12, verse 29. Note that before Jesus <clears throat> names the prototype commandment, he commands. Commands what? He commands hearing. We shouldn't skip past this point. Hear, O Israel, he says. Well, what does he mean by hear? We might readily think of hear in the sense of listen, to sense with our ears. But sometimes listen, is, sometimes listen is given as the translation here, but there is more going on here than listening. Listening connotes a kind of attendance-taking of sounds around us, noticing them, but not really hearing them, noticing, for example, that a bird chirps in a distant tree, but not letting the wonder of that little creature impress itself on your awareness the crisp beauty of the sound it makes, the exquisiteness of its complex being, the way it lives and moves. Listening is just one-dimensional hearing. 
<clears throat> hearing is more like letting the totality of a thing announce its presence to you through the mere sound it makes, being struck by the beauty and nobility of the bird just by hearing its chirree, chirree, the little tweet that it makes. Similarly, hearing a word from the Lord is standing in wonder before an utterance from God, as though you were standing before a word uttered by a person of power and love. It is letting that utterance, that sound, that word shape you, determine you, enter you, illuminate you. Hearing is different than listening. Hearing also means that we need to hear the word, which means not just read it. When alone, we should speak this word out loud. We should frequent places where the word is spoken. Hearing has more of a receptive quality to it than reading, which is more acquisitive in nature. A disciple hears and lets the impression of the sound and the meaning strike the mind and soul. A scholar or an urban mind reads, assembles, skims, masters, and then moves on. Both are important. But the first commandment that Jesus notes is something that we should hear, not read. In short, first we are called to hear God's voice, to hear in the second of the two senses that I have described. Now Jesus continues, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Here Jesus is quoting nearly Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. I say nearly because one might say he misquotes it, for he changes something of rather noteworthy significance, but I will come back to that. What I want to call your attention to first is the verb he, he commands. He commands not love as we use the word love. The word he uses here is agape. He says, you will agape the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Agape is the word reserved in Scripture to to denote love as God loves. It is the highest nature of love, different than, say, philo or ero, which are two other verbs used for love in the Greek. If we could understand what these words, agape the Lord your God with all your heart, if we, could under, if we could hear with full understanding of the heart and intelligence, I think we would fall back in our chairs as though the wind were knocked out of us, as though we had just climbed to a peak and gazed with wonder at a vista of the Grand Canyon for the first time, as though we stood there at sunrise with not a soul around. There is something beyond us here. Our physical heart should skip a beat upon hearing these words. Our spiritual heart should stop and stand still in awe. Agape God with all my heart? Agape God with all my soul? Agape God with all my mind? Agape God with all my strength? What exactly is Jesus asking? Is this even possible? What would my life look like if I did that? This, the commandment from which all other commandments derive. This is a question we should ask ourselves. I can't answer it here. I can only say it is worth asking. What I most want to comment on here is the way in which Jesus misquotes the Bible. What do I mean by that? 
Here's what I mean. The text Jesus quotes from in Deuteronomy reads as follows. You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart, with your whole soul, and with your whole strength. Heart, soul, strength. These are the three attributes of the human person which, Mo- which Moses summons to the love of God in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Yet when Jesus cites this verse to the scribe, he adds a fourth attribute. You shall love the Lord with all your mind. See Mark 12 verse 30. Thus, to heart, soul, and strength, Jesus adds dianoia, the organ that serves as the locus for rational thought, reflection, and insight. In other words, the mind. Why does Jesus add mind to Moses' formulation of the ways we are to love God? Does he not know his Bible? So obviously I'm being provocative, but in a real sense, we must ask ourselves what's going on here. Here's my take. Jesus knows his Bible. Of course he does. As the second person of the Trinity, he has already shown that he stands above the law as its author and interpreter. As we saw when he wrote with his finger in the dust while the Pharisees waited to condemn the adulteress under the law. See John chapter 8, verse 1 to 11. Jesus also transcends the law because he co-wrote it, finger to stone, with the Father and the Spirit. That's, that was the message that we saw in that uh, discussion of John chapter 8. A second place where he reveals that he stands as authoritative interpreter of the Mosaic law is when Jesus declared Moses' original intent in articulating the law with respect to marriage and divorce. See Mark chapter 10, verse 5 to 6, and which a passage which I discussed earlier in this blog and on this podcast. So it is nothing new to see Jesus standing as interpreter of all the law. He's done it before, and he's doing it here. We should therefore not be surprised that he could determine which of the 613 commandments is the most important, and then that he would add an edit to the first of the commandments. But why the edit? Here's my take. When Moses first delivered the divine commandment, Hear, O Israel, to the people of Israel, these were simpler times. When he commanded them to love the Lord with all their hearts, he meant the heart as it was understood in those earlier biblical times as the locus of emotion, will, perception, and discursive thought. Not the physical heart that pumps blood, but the core of a person that receives information from the outside world through their senses, reacts to it through their emotions, thinks about it through their thoughts, and then decides on a course of action through their will. But in those days, the mind, as we have come to understand it, could be understood by the people as as falling under the general heading of heart in this core human sense, in this kind of interior of a person sense. It was more of a general sense. But as time passed, the functions of human intelligence, emotion, and will became more and more bifurcated. The action of perception and rational reflection took on a greater life in a kind of separate thought world from that of deep emotion and will. This is even more plainly evident today. Rational thought and the organ that serves as its point of origin is something of a standalone current in the human being today. Jesus sought to address that current independently, the current of the mind, that it might also be brought into the single stream of personhood that God commands be pointed toward him. 
Now, I make these comments even while acknowledging my non-medical understanding that emotions have their seat in the physical brain also. But in the biblical period, emotions were identified more with the heart because the heart could be felt to move under their influence, as though the heart were the origin of emotions. All that said, I arrive at this insight, rich for us today. Jesus is adding this nuance to Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, you shall love the Lord with all your mind. I can scarcely even hint at what this might mean. Love God with the totality of our mind? We whose minds skitter and scatter, reflect and refract in all directions from all points of stimulus, present and past, to say nothing of our projections, desires, and worries for the future? What kind of being is Jesus calling for here? What kind of quality of mind? One that it would appear operates under a kind of harmonic unity, always tuned to the grounding current of love, always operating toward love, governed by love, receptive to love, considerate of love, a mind governed by love. I'm fairly staggered by this thought, challenged by it, inspired by it. This is the thought I most want to hold on to from today's passage. What higher power and inner energy could hold my mind in this way, in this loving tension toward God? Attention both responsive to and discerning of the world around me. What kind of mind could be at once so judicious and disciplined in its operation? Such a mind, it seems to me, is the mind of the wise. Paul calls it the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. I pray that the operations of such a mind might become more common in me, that my mind might become more like this mind. Yes, I dare to pray that prayer, and I think we all can. But I want to say one final quick word in passing, because it's so central to this passage. Jesus says it's co-prototypical. He gives a second commandment that is like this first commandment. For in the end, Jesus disobeys the scribe's request. He does not give a single greatest commandment as the scribe asked. He gives two. He names the first commandment, which is wholehearted, whole-minded, whole-souled love of God. But then Jesus adds that there is a second commandment, it would seem, of equal weight. That second co-prototypical commandment is to love one's neighbor as oneself. But here's the thing. Neighbor is a tired translation, easily passed over, easily limited in our minds to a few people in our neighborhood or social group. But the original word in Greek is plesion, and it means literally the one who is nearest to you. In other words, those closest to where you find yourself. This could be the loving, snoring, messy, or demanding spouse. It could be the workmate, the next desk over. Could be the driver moving slowly in front of you, the annoying family in the grocery store slowing your forward progress, or the homeless person it is easier to pass by. My plesion, my neighbor, is a constantly changing reality. It is the person nearest that little bubble in which I move about in this world. So that what Jesus is really saying here is, I want you to be a moving organism of agape, always radiating outward wherever you are to the person nearest you, always showing that same love you have seen me radiate to every person I encountered, friend, child, or foe, the same agape, 
for agape is the word used here too for love of the plesion. Jesus is saying, I want you to be on earth an organism of agape radiating outward to the nearest person in your life, spouse, child, parent, sibling, bus driver, Uber driver, coworker, adversary, ex-spouse, competitor, all of them. Whoever is closest to you in the moment, that is the person I call you to love as you love your very self. To love with the agape you have seen me reveal when I walked the dusty streets of this lovely, humble earth. I close by returning to my title, Jesus Misquotes the Bible. He misquotes it because he wrote it, or rather, he spoke it. He is the intelligence and the agape from which it springs. And where the message needs refining to a changing audience, he knows where and how to do so. Jesus edits the word, and he speaks it afresh to those who hear him. We close with a prayer. Father, I hear the words you speak to me. I consent to your commands. I consecrate my heart to you. I consecrate my soul to you. I consecrate my mind to you. I consecrate to you all my strength. Have mercy on me when I turn away. Help me to love those nearest to me with the same agape I have seen revealed by Jesus on the face of this earth. Help me to be an organism of your agape on earth, loving you wholeheartedly, loving you with all my mind, with all my soul, with all my strength, and loving those nearest to me with the agape I have seen in you, that I might one day hear Jesus say, as he said to the scribe, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Gospel Life. I hope this podcast encourages you to practice Lexio Divina in your own life. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe to this channel or follow it. You might also want to purchase a copy of the book which inspired this podcast and where I explain a method of Lexio Divina that can work for laypeople. To learn more, please visit thegospellife.net. Thank you very much.